Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Smith. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast. And if you love this podcast and want some more tips and tricks on how to improve yourself, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. There are a ton of instructional videos there. You can find the links down below. However, my friends, for today, we are listening. We are joined by, we are hanging out with the one and only Kimberly Casting. Kimberly, ah. welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I love that intro. It's not too bad. I like to try bringing a little bit of energy when uh, things uh, w- when things get going. I like to keep it calm. And then one of uh, one of my guests uh, was surprised by the energy because I was really chill before. And then I just go in out of nowhere and they're like, whoa, what the hell? But yeah, Kimberly. Uh, oh, goes. Keep them listening. Keep it, keep it open hot. Exactly. Now, I like to I like to go with a, a little bit of a different kind of question to start, so that people get to kind of know what you uh, what value you bring to the world. Uh, so, how does what you do impact the lives of others? I the work that I do. This is a cool question. I'm gonna I'm gonna carefully choose my words because that's part of the work that I do. I help people get over the shit talking voice in their head, create a lot of clarity and be able to position that voice to be action prone and to be able to move in the direction that they want to go confidently. That's awesome. Were you always confident in your own choices? I definitely lean on a scale of confidence against my peers, my confidence is, it has always been stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that the way that we build confidence is built off of the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that people have told us our lot in our lives. So a lot of my confidence growing up and as a young adult came from how my dad and my parents, specifically my dad, but very much both of my parents, uh, affirmed me constantly. Right. So they celebrated me, they affirmed me, they challenged me, they pushed me and they set me up to have a positive story in my own head about how I viewed myself. We talk about, uh, so, so to be more specific about what I do, I teach them in a mindset certification where we focus on the power of words, stories, and breath and how that ultimately architects your identity. And so that voice inside your head, that shit talking voice in your head, it's being able to move through that and pass that is about dismantling the stories that you've acquired throughout your life and being able to uh, release the ones that are not serving you and empower the ones that are. So a lot of what I uh, learned now in saying that confidence is built over reps and over those stories and and ultimately the seat of it is your identity, how you, how you own your identity. I noticed growing up and through my teens and into my twenties, early twenties, that I was more confident than my peers, that I was more solid, more certain, and more confident than my peers. Once I started studying mindset through the lens of words and stories, I realized it became obvious to me as to why. And it, we can get into it, into a deep dive, but ultimately the, the power of the words with the Enlifted Method, we talk about language influencing four key components of how you experience yourself, which is your feelings and emotions, your posture, like how you hold yourself, your uh, breathing, and then your imagination. So 
to, to go through all those and how those, like why that's important is like the feelings and emotions that's going to guide, um, and be in close concert with your thoughts. So what you're thinking is going to, you know, and what people are saying to you, what you're saying is going to influence your feelings and emotions. I think we can all like really get that one. Uh, the imagination, we can look at that as the movies that go through our head, how we view ourselves in our head, the pictures we play out in our head, the posture and physiology, you can imagine how that would relate to body language and confidence. So if we're talking ourselves into a good mood and we're feeling strong and positive and confident, you can see it in someone's stature and how they hold themselves, how they carry themselves. And if you're talking yourself into a more, uh, bad mood or into a, an a unconfident state, you can see the rounding, you can see the closing off, you can see the, the fidgeting and the, and the um, expression through the physical body. And then breathing, this is the one where it's really interesting and cool because how we see ourselves and view ourselves, if we are lacking confidence, likely when we're around a social scenario or we're on a podcast or we're in front of a room leading or teaching, we're going to have a stress response. So a breath is going to get trapped high and tight. It's going to be a little harder to get that low, slow, controlled breathing that keeps you in that relaxed, down-regulated state. And so in that anxious state, right, people talk about social anxiety. It, what is that? It means there's a lot that goes into it and likely you're not breathing very well. So if we can control how our language plays out and through our head and language influences those four aspects of us, all of those things will help you build confidence when you have the story that supports it, when you have the identity that supports it. So confidence isn't necessarily something you're born with or something that you, uh, you know, have or don't. It's, it's an accumulation of stories of, am I confident in this? It's accumulation of reps, right? We get more confident the more we do something, the more we know something, the more confident we can approach it. So there's uh, that internal dialogue, going back to the, the shit talking voice, if it's constantly shit talking you and you're unable to change and shift it into a way that is supportive and empowering and putting you in position of it being action prone, being the owner and creator of your uh, reality and your experience, then yeah, if you, if you're, if you're just believing that voice in your head, cause it's the voice in your head, then you're probably not going to be very confident. <laughs> so this has been a long, a long, uh, drawn out answer to the question. And it's also, it's very, it's very relevant to what we teach and how we look at this from a component of mindset. So it's mindset is the story I tell myself about myself. And if I look at the, if I look at confidence and through that specific lens, going back to how that showed up for me was that I was told most of my life to be confident. I was given reasons to be confident. I was given evidence to be confident, uh, which then translated into the story I was telling myself, which translated into my actions and behaviors. And it was a noticeable difference amongst my peers. Yeah. Shit. There's a lot there. That's really cool. I, there's a, <clears throat> there's a couple of things that I, I like the way that you explain it, but I, I've explained it uh, to folks as well. And I like alliterations, alliterations I'm huge with. And uh, when, one thing that, that is very similar is the, the, putting in the reps in order to build confidence. I like to think that, or I like to say that confidence breeds confidence. Yes. And it comes from a place of being the person it takes to get the outcome you want rather than, or being the person it takes to envision or envisioning the person to be the person act as the person. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that one to be honest, but that yes, I really it makes sense to me. Sweet. I really, I, I like, I like a lot of that. And something that you kind of helped me just click on this one that I just want to share because it's a lesson that you shared with me already now. So I just want to go with it. Why not? Uh, but I, I liked when you were talking about like social anxiety and it's like uh, when you, the way you explained it, 
I recognize that there is the stimuli. And then uh, when you were talking about the breath, and so the breath is the principle and the stimuli is the story. And then no matter how the, or no matter what the story of the anxiety is, because the, there has to be the story, there's a stimulus, then there's a story, then there's the feels. And something that it just clicked is despite the story, the principle of breath stays the same despite a hundred different stories is kind of what I envisioned. I thought that was a pretty cool little, little thing. I, I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. It's, uh, you're, you're naturally picking up on something that is, uh, what we, how we talk about it is that the, uh, the method that we, imp that we use is not, uh, context dependent in that what, what we're talking about is working on the mechanics of storytelling in our brain and how our brain tells stories and assigns meaning. And so when the meaning making machine in your head's running wild and thinking a million thoughts, a million miles an hour, what we know is very likely to happen is that the breath is going to become very shallow and is going to respond to a, to a more anxious worked up state. And so the mechanics of that is that if you can get the, get the thoughts to slow down, get more accurate with the words, and then also insert breathing into it, you are going to downregulate that state and you're going to be able to move through the story. And so the, and the reason I say it's not context dependent is because it doesn't matter if it's a story of social anxiety, if it's a story of deep trauma from your past, if it's a story about why you're not making more money, if it's a story about, uh, you know, how your boyfriend doesn't think you're cute anymore, like whatever it is, there's a story that whatever that context is, the mechanics of storytelling work on the body in the same way. So the thoughts create certain feelings and emotions, but the thought, let me, let me slow that down for a second. The thoughts with a specific arrangement of words are going to create a, a specific response um, or a uh, more predictable response in how we how we string together words by by slowing down the thoughts enough to hear what the words are and to understand that it's going to impact the way the imagination works, the feelings work, the posture and the and the breathing. We can then say, okay, well, if this string of words creates this response, what if I change one? Okay, how does that change the response? Okay, what if I change one more? Okay, now what if I change one more? Totally different picture in my head, totally different feeling in my body, totally different response through the posture, and my breathing is no longer as uh, tight, we'll call it. And so, like, to get let's let's get into a, like a clear example because that this is the best way to to hear it and to understand it is to really slow it down and look at the words so um let's use the social anxiety scenario because that's that's fun i think um, it's common yeah most folks. If you um if you were well you already told me you're an extrovert and that you like to talk to people so maybe this will be harder for you to get to but if there was one statement like one sentence that you would hear or you could imagine that someone would hear going into a party and having experiencing social anxiety like what what do we think that sentence would be or let's throw out a couple examples and we'll pick one that we can work we could work with uh one would be uh so like if I, if someone was going to a party and then they were feeling really anxious about it I think yeah. one one that I think would be common is I'm scared of people. Okay. I'm scared of people. Um, the one that popped into my head is nobody wants to talk to me. Mm. That's that's one that's interesting. Or I don't know anyone there. 
yeah, um, they're all going to think I'm weird. You know, so like these are the type of statements, right? And so what, so what I look at and the way that we look at this through the lens of the unlifted method is not actually like the truth of the statements or necessarily the, um, what the person said, but we're looking at how the arrangement of words would potentially create a certain feeling in the body. So, um, let's go with, they're all going to think I'm weird. So in that sentence, let's check in with our pictures and emotions in our head. If I say they're all going to think I'm weird. The way that that, the picture I get in my head is a room full of people, people in front of me, all staring at me go like with a face thinking, what the hell I'm over here. They're over there. And I feel like, Ooh, like spotlight on me in a way that's it's, um, I don't like it. Cause it's the way they're viewing me is not great. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is start to create a different frame with those words. So the one that stands out in that sentence is all because is every single person in the room going to think you're weird? So we could take, change the sentence one word at a time and go, uh, they, instead of say, we could say, um, some of them think I'm weird. Okay. Now what I see is like that sea of people on the other side of the room, there's still some of them over there, but some of them are over here with me and they're either like ignoring me or they don't like, they're, they're not involved. Like they, they haven't made any judgment on me. So now it's, it kind of shifts, right? It, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. It feels a little more relevant or accurate. And it's like, okay, interesting. Okay. Some of them think that I'm weird. Cool. So if some of them think that I'm weird, what do the other ones think? And, you know, we'll play a little, we'll be, we'll be assumptive here. Some of them think I'm cool. And now what did, what just happened there? The ones that think I'm weird are on the other side of the room. And I don't even care because the ones that are around me think that I'm cool. And now I feel more comfortable and confident. I feel more, um, more included maybe. Mm. And, and then we can, I mean, we could keep playing and playing and playing, but ultimately what we're doing is we're shifting that picture one word at a time, because what uh, the word all is implying is very binary. It's, it's essentially like it's right or it's wrong. It's everyone or it's no one. Um, some other ways that we could look at this is um, what were some of the other statements that we brought out? And we'll talk about, um, I'll get into like the, the details of how the language system works, but there was one that. Um, I don't know I don't, anybody. I don't, yeah. I don't know anybody there. Um, so don't is, is what we would call a negation. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe you don't know anybody there in which case like, okay, cool. We'll move from that. We'll say um, I don't know anyone there yet which would mean like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know them yet, but I'm going to get to know them. It implies like that I can get to know them. Uh, maybe you do in fact know somebody there. So you could say, you could change that statement to, I do know Kyle. And then it's like, oh, okay, I know Kyle. So at least that makes me feel a little bit like I'm more comfortable. I, I know that I'm going to be able to at least interact with one person. And so a lot of what, what this call, what says is, is we're talking about conflict language. And so conflict language is this overarching system that takes us and puts us in a place of being disempowered. It puts us in a state of um, kind of like all or nothing thinking, black or white thinking, very, um, it, it inflames something that we cite as the victim mentality, which mm -hmm. the definition of that is the uh, a person who views themselves as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. And the victim mentality is dependent on a habitual thought process. So, which means that it's consistent, it's repetitive, it's putting you in this disempowered state. And it may not necessarily, it, it, it's, it could be subtle, right? Because the, they're all going to think I'm weird is, is a, 
is a sentence that is, we classify it as a projection. Like I'm, they're going to think this about me, but I don't care what they think about me. Like, and it's like, this, this, this aspect of like, what do I think about myself? How do I want to position myself? So when you learn the words that make up this, the, the language structures and the words that put us in this disempowered state, which put us in that victim mentality, it's really sneaky and subtle. It's not necessarily avert. It's not necessarily blatant. I'm not talking about, you know, we can all imagine the person who is, is miserable to be around and is a total victim like that. That's not necessarily what this low grade victim mentality looks like and feels like. It just means that I don't feel as confident and empowered as I could because of the words that I'm using or putting this particular position in my head. It's making and eliciting a certain feeling in my body. It's, it's being expressed through my posture. And then that breathing component, right? That locks the whole thing up, puts me in a stress response, makes it difficult for me to actually hear or see a different perspective, see a new perspective. And I'm locked in on the thoughts because I just believe the first draft that runs through my head. I accept it as true without ever saying, wait, hold on. Can I rearrange this a little bit? Can I, can I look at this through a different lens as it comes to the words and then be able to shift my own responses to my own thoughts and craft them in a way that supports how I want to view and act and behave in my life, how I want to view myself, how I want to construct that identity and how I want to step in and then create actions from it. So it's a very, um, it's a cool system because what we're looking at and how we're, how we're breaking the things apart is, is quite literally one word at a time to dismantle some of those statements that hold entirely emotionally charged stories together. Because as we know, it's never a singular thought that runs through our head. It's a multitude of thoughts. It's a, which is creating the collection of that story. And so by able, by getting ourselves the ability to, um, slow down and deconstruct some of the thoughts is where we can then get more accurate, create a little bit more of a downregulated state or more receptive state, see some new possibilities, reframe the scenario, and then ultimately be able to act and behave differently through that. And so you go from being in the state that we just broke down is like that socially anxious person who believes the thoughts that nobody's going to like me. I don't know anyone there. They're going to think I'm weird into something that might be, make you more open and receptive and more confident to step into the room and just be a little more receptive because we went from, they're all going to think I'm weird to some of them are going to think I'm cool. And then the, uh, you know, I know Kyle's there. Okay. Comfort. And then I don't think we worked through another one, but it's like the idea of like, just being able to, uh, shift one word at a time, small shifts, small changes, and see yourself in a different perspective, see yourself from a different mindset, and then be able to take action from that place where you want to go versus the place that is the default. I like that. When you mentioned don't, you said that it was a negation word. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that was a follow-up with yet. Uh, what would, would yet oh, yeah. be considered a different word or a different category? Like, <clears throat> yeah, if, the, if, if don't is a negation, what is yet? Um, so yet doesn't necessarily fall into any of the pillars of conflict language, but I will answer this question by giving you more context about what conflict language is so that we can um, frame this conversation for ourselves. Cool. So the way we look at conflict language, we break this down into three main buckets and then there's a, there's a fourth component to it. So the negations, which is the, I don't, I can't, I shouldn't, I couldn't anything, a not right. Anything that is the negative of the thing that we actually want to do. So, or that we're actually trying to say. So when we use a negation, uh, what, what it does is it, it diverts the attention to exactly the thing that we don't want to happen. The thing we're trying to avoid the thing that we, uh, are 
you know, I, uh, I like to use this one in the context of health coaching. I don't want to be fat. Okay. If you don't want to be fat, gives us a clear visual, can give us some feelings and emotions, understand what that means, how that positions us, how it impacts the breathing and the posture, all those ways. But really, what is it that you do want? So can we switch it from what you don't to what you do? And so, or I can't, you know, do 60 minutes of a workout in a day. Okay. Can you do 45? Can you do 30? Can you do 15? Can you do five? Right? Like we can make it to a place that something's more approachable. It shifts the attention from where uh, we're trying to avoid what we're afraid of, what we don't want to go into to the place where we can create the possibility and set our attention on the thing that is the direction we want to go. So with every conflict language, there's a uh, secondary component of uh, architect language. And so when we take those negations, we put them into affirmations and now we are shifting. We go down the list. The next pillar of conflict language is soft talk. Now this one, once you start hearing it, please don't get mad at me because you're going to hear it everywhere. And it's going to, it's, it's going to potentially aggravate you <laughs> potentially is a soft talk word. Okay. So soft talk is words that we use and we add as fluff into our statements, mm -hmm. into our conversations. And it's, it's very clear. Once you start to hear it, it becomes rampant. And so the thing is, is that you want to be able to prime yourself for it, but then also have some grace as you're practicing and applying it because all of this is a practice. So soft talk, the, um, I'm going to get a prop. Hold on one second. Go for it. I come prepared guys. Nice. <laughs> soft talk keywords. We literally, this is so important. We had one of our team members etch them into a piece of wood and we, uh, we send these out to people and sell them um, because we think it's important. So soft talk is the words. I'll read them straight off here. Probably feels like guess, maybe, could, might, possibly, sort of, kind of, hopefully, try, one day, should, almost like. Now let's play a game with this one because it helps really understand like where, uh, how this shows up. So, and Kyle, if you use any of these throughout the rest of the show, it's all good. I'm not the soft talk police, but you'll just start to notice it. I'm sure. Cause we're priming your attention. So probably, right. Um, I could probably make it to a meeting at 3 PM on Friday. I can make it to a meeting 3 PM on Friday. Who who's coming to the meeting, the first guy or the second guy, second guy. Right. So we say probably, and what we mean is we can, but we're, we're just saying it like, you know, it's fluff. Um, I, I think I want to have pizza for dinner tonight. Okay. Like you think you do, or you do, <laughs> I want to have pizza tonight. Two totally different energies, uh, more solid, right? So the opposite of soft talk is solid talk. And the only thing you have to do to go from soft talk to solid talk is delete these words. It's really easy, you know, cause we go from, um, like I, maybe I'm going to go to the gym after work. I'm going to the gym after work. Right. And it's where, what soft talk is, is like the scapegoat. It, it takes us and like puts us in a position where we don't have to actually be accountable to the thing that we're trying to do because, well, I might've done it, but eh, it didn't really work out that way. Hmm. And, and we're soft talking ourselves all the time. And what, what that does is it creates uncertainty. It creates indecision. It creates a uh, lack of confidence and creates the lack of conviction. Yes. And used to hearing it because everybody's using it. And then when you hear somebody speak very solidly because they're not using those words, 
you notice a difference, but you don't exactly know why, right? Like you, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. They're very like, huh. Okay. Interesting. And so the soft talk words, it's the easiest thing. You just delete them. You just delete them. Like take them out of your emails, take them out of your texts. When you hear yourself say it, like you just take it out and correct, you know, just say, oh no, no, actually I'm, I'm going to do this. And a lot of that, that, um, churn that's happening there is like, we're looking at it and we're seeing that and we're hearing it. And again, we don't necessarily know why, but in conversation with other people, you're like, this person seems a little wishy-washy. Like, I don't think they, I don't know if they mean that. Um, you hear it in your own head when you're talking yourself into or out of the thing that you're doing. So it's a matter of like being able to recognize it and then spot correct. And then sometimes there's, sometimes there's like intentional use of soft talk. This is the one thing that people can get really um, into, which is like, but like, I am still thinking about it. Like I have not made a decision yet. I'm still using, I'm saying this intentionally. Like I'm, I might be there on Friday, but I also might not depends on this, this, and this. So one of the ways that, um, I like to help people get more clear on that or more intentional is like, you could say, I'm still deciding, right. So like help mm -hmm. them understand, like, I'm still making a decision. I'm still, I'm still choosing. And that sounds, that feels better than I might, you know, for, for both the person you're saying it to and for yourself, because it puts power back in your hand. So all of this reframe, this is like, I'm getting super technical now, but I'm on a roll. So I'll keep going. I'm cool with it. <laughs> I'm, so I'm making notes. Like, We're good. Like take, taking furious notes and yeah. like, 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 like download the course with the call with the podcast so that you can follow along. Um, so ultimately, so the idea here is that like, when you start to become aware of these language patterns and these words that we put under that umbrella of conflict language, it's really like taking the power back into your own hands. It's being, it's creating more solid conversations with yourself, more solid conversations with the people around you, more clarity because our language is overly vague. Like it's very overly vague. It, it creates a lot of room for fluff, creates a lot of room for ambiguity. And it's also our most, our most powerful tool. So to be able to utilize it in a way that gets us set up to do the thing we want, gets other people enrolled in our vision, gets other people to be able to take action, gets us um, to be able to relate, right? To be able to connect all of those things. And so part of the pain points in using your language without really recognizing how it impacts those four aspects that we talk about, you're flying blind. Like you just, you realize that you're kind of experiencing this. You're like, oh, I didn't like the way they said that. Or, oh, I'm just not sure about what that even means. Like, but you don't, you, you can break it down and you can realize why. Mm. <laughs> so it's cool. It's a cool approach. Um, and then to, to sum up this rant about conflict language, I'll mention the other two. And then if we get to them, as we go through in conversation, we'll, um, we'll break them apart. So the other ones are projections, which ultimately is a language pattern of, uh, you and another person or another thing that is creating space between the two. So it's, um, they all think I'm weird was a projection. It, it's they, I'm pointing the finger at them. Um, the opposite of a projection is a reflection, which would be, I think I'm weird who I am. Um, cool. Same. And then, um, yeah, exactly. Right. And then the, uh, the fourth category is dramatics. So stuff that gets overly inflamed, um, like that, and that includes some of those binary components. Like they're always on my case about this. Um, I never get to do what I want. Um, she's always making me feel like da, 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 da. Right. And it's like, it's very inflammatory is like the way we like to describe it because it makes the whole thing bigger and it is very black or white thinking. It's that, um, overdone. So the, uh, to sum that 
whole mini class up the, those essential components of conflict language is what can put us in that victim mentality state unknowingly, but it's in a distant, another way to say it disempowered lack of the confidence, lack of clarity, unsure how to take the next move, unsure of what our next move is and talking ourselves out of it consistently rather than being able to constructively and uh, intentionally talk ourselves into it in a place where we feel empowered, where we have confidence and where we're creating that story that supports us stepping into the bigger identity of the person we want to be and how we want to act and behave. And so it's like, this is like programming for the mind. You know, people talk about their programming all the time. What programming language you got in there, buddy? (laughs) You know, we can, we can take it apart a little bit here. We can work on the code and we can upgrade it. And so it's, it's using the words as that upgrade. And so it's, it's in some ways, it's like the ultimate mind hack, you know, and it's, it's pretty freaking cool. I agree with that. That was, that was a fantastic lesson. First (laughs) off, I'm very appreciative of it. I'm definitely going to flip back and uh, definitely take some more notes or I'm just going to, I don't know, get YouTube to transcribe it. And I don't know, we were talking about chat GPT (laughs) earlier. I'll get that to do something for me. I don't know, but that, that was a very, very cool explanation. I, uh, I really like the soft talk, solid talk. I like that it's deleting the soft talk of the words and I didn't write down all the soft talk words, but, uh, (laughs) Oh, please do. Yeah. I I think, I think that something that's really cool with that is just the idea of, uh, just when you're, when you're saying things and you find that you say like a soft talk word, just being able to catch yourself in that moment. Or I think when there's the opportunity to just take a a pause, take that breath and then think about the words, I think people want to, or at least for myself, I used to want to rush to get my words out. And even there, I was trying to think really quick to get it out really quick and thinking of slowing things down to be able to articulate and think about the words that we use. And those words that we use are so congruent with the vision that we have, where there is not an incongruence where someone could be preaching peace, but presenting resentment when there's like, Mm -hmm. like that kind of like incongruence, the words fall short because if the behavior and the words are not lining up, it's, it's kind of like if, if, if I were to tell a client to do 10,000 steps per day, but I'm not doing it myself, those words mean nothing because it's not backed by anything, but just BS, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting reflection, the slowdown component. It's we rate of speech. Let's, let's use an example to, for me to like accurately explain this. Um, you're in a fight with your girlfriend and she's really worked up and she's talking 10,000 miles an hour. Are you going to be able to present a logical thought out response? Like that's like slow and calculated. Like it doesn't even matter because they're in a state called amygdala hijack, which is like the listening faculties go down, the emotions run high, and the story is running the entire show. It's it's just like it is shut everything shut everything down and just get escalated. And um, I doubt your girlfriend ever does that. <laughs> if you're listening, girlfriend, <laughs> um, Her but name's Kendra, cool. Kendra, Kendra, um, and so the yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Like you know when um when you're in a state with somebody 
once you can observe this and you can see they're really, really, really operating from a fast rate of speech, they're very caught up in the story. I mean, okay, let's take your girlfriend out of this. She's a divine queen. Let's put one of your clients in the, in the hot seat. Okay. So, uh, they're worked up and they're coming in and they're like, Kyle, I've been trying everything and all the things you're doing. And I'm trying to say this and I just, nothing's working. And my, this, that, and the other thing and this excuse and like, and maybe they're not that abrasive, but they are talking very quickly and they're, they're, um, in that churn state where the story's taken over and the rate of speech is so quick, right? That, that means that there, there, you can observe this in people when you're talking that quickly, it is impossible to have low and slow breathing. It's just not like you can't get a full breath in because you're speaking so fast. And if you're speaking that fast, your thoughts are likely moving significantly faster. So what, in a coaching environment, the key thing there is, you know, not to then when a person is in that state to try to explain to them why 10,000 steps a day is the answer. It's actually to get them downregulated, get them clear, get them looking like with the, in our method, it's like, get them to write some things down on paper so that they can look at the words and you can look at the words with them. And then you can start to, rather than explain to them the things that they should do, it becomes about what do you, I, as a client on the other side of the street, know that I want to do and how am I getting my in my own way, right? Because most people can tell you how they want to feel and what they think they should be doing. And should is both a pressure language word, like under that dramatics category and a soft talk word, because nobody really does anything that they should. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're shooting on ourselves and we're, we're acting out of pressure rather than, than taking the action, because usually it, it's, you know, it's worked up in a story. So when people are talking really fast and then like the slowing down can be the uncomfortable part because the slowing down and being deliberate with the words means like, oh, I got to get really what it means is you got to unlock your breath <laughs> when you're operating from that high and tight, right? It's like, oh, okay. I got to slow down a little bit here. And when you do that, you're going to start to feel a little more, right? When you're in that upregulated amygdala hijacked, mm. like freak and like freaking out stage. What, what happens there is you might feel rage. You might feel anger. You might feel frustration, but you're probably not going to feel the emotions that are sitting underneath it. So being able to get people, get their breathing unlocked, get them kind of speaking slower, breathing a little better. The feelings are going to come up about what's really happening behind the scenes. And that's where like the reality is, is like a lot of times in coaching sessions, it's like the feelings come up and it's like the coach will freeze. It's like, <gasps> feelings. Oh, I wasn't prepared for this. Um, I was just here to talk about deadlifts, um, you yeah. know, or like <laughs> whatever it may be. I was here to talk about, you know, like whatever. And, and the thing is, is like those, the feelings are the things that are, that are the stories are running off of. And so we've got to go, we've got to be able to like cope with the feelings and address the feelings and get through the stories and the stories are going to elicit those feelings. So we want to be able to first deescalate, then by slowing down, writing down and slowing down as part of our method. And then the ability to insert the breath is the part where now the person can really be more receptive to coaching. They can be more receptive to their own uh, views on what they should be doing. Um, and we take them from should to could, and then could to can, and then we give it a reason, like, why can I do this? And so there's this process of being able to unwind that, that fast paced conversation. And the slowing down is the the uncomfortable part because people can be a little uncomfortable with silence. They can be a little uncomfortable with, with uh, not having an immediate response. 
a little uncomfortable with just a blank mind of like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and so there's lots of layers to that game and like this, um, the experience that we have in it is again, like people aren't teach like, you know, you didn't learn this in school. Nobody taught you about how this language influences us. They teach us spelling and grammar and, you know, that that's how, when we take language, it's like how many, you know, 20 page paper and, you know, like whatever, right. It's not really about how it's architecting our reality, which is truly what language is doing. And so we've got to take the time to unwind a little bit of that autopilot that's been running until we become aware of the the more complexities that are also very, very simple when it comes to language and then be able to, to unwind that and see, huh, how can I, how can I, how can I make this better for myself? Right. Because like, I want to have a better experience of my life and my reality. I want to craft my thoughts in a better way that support the identity I want to step into. I want to experience, I want to enjoy experiencing myself. I want to like, like the voice that's going on in my own head. And so much of that, like, we don't have, we don't really have a tool to do that. Like we've, we've never been taught until all of a sudden one day you either connect with me or Mark England or an enlifted coach who can teach it to you. <laughs> And so it's like luck of the draw, you know? Um, and yeah, it's like a lot of times people ask us like, is this like NLP? And the thing is, no, it's not, it's not really like NLP. It's a very different context of coaching. It's, it, it is much more uh, simple in a sense. It's a very specific set of language tools that help us look at and examine those stories, help us understand, can we craft our thoughts in a better way to be more empowered and set us up to go after the things we want with more clarity and more focus. And then really, uh, the way that it works in when you're talking to other people is you become much more aware of the potential story that's running through that person's head by what they're saying. And then you can have a lot more compassion and distance from it. It's no longer like take it on as your own. And so in a coaching environment, that's critical because, you know, I'm sure that you've experienced this before. One of your clients is in a really tough spot and like, it's like, oh man, you walk out of session and you just keep thinking about it all day. Cause it's like, man, like I really, you know, I feel for them. And that's, this coaches are compassionate people that care about the success of their clients and their students. And so being able to create, you know, a little better boundaries around what's mine and what's yours. Um, and then also help that person move through what's theirs without it mattering about what your situation is. So like creating more of that space. And so, yeah, it's a really, it's a really, uh, beautiful tool and a really powerful tool. And there's layers and layers and layers and layers and layers into it. That's freaking sweet. And for NLP, you meant neuro linguistic persuasion, right? Uh, Is that what you're referring to? Programming. Yeah. Program. Cool. I really like that. Something I've been playing around with in the last uh, chunk of time with my clients as well. First for myself, just developing the mental framework for it and then implementing it with my clients when it comes to narratives. When a client, I just, I create categories so that people can just go, they can swipe left, they can swipe right on a particular sentence. And so I, I, I categorize it as a functioning opinion or a non-functioning opinion or a functioning narrative or a non-functioning narrative. And then that way, and then I define it where a functioning narrative is something that has our best interest at heart and gets us to the point that we want to go. A non-functioning narrative is the narrative that holds us back from where we want to go and is usually based in some sort of lies or unrealistic uh, or an opinion that's not based in reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's been very, very helpful when it comes to the uh, just the organization of thoughts. And I find that when 
we are the most anxious, we are the most, we have the most options. And when we are the feel the most sadness, we feel like there is no options. And so so funny. I just, did you, do you pick that up from Alex Ramosi? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I was like, Called I was just Alex. Totally Alex. I was like, I it. just heard Alex Hermosi on YouTube yep. last night saying this, but I'm glad that you brought it up because it mm-hmm. literally it hit very well for me, and I understood that. I was like, I'm really. He's, it was a very simplistic approach to explaining uh, where people get stuck, mm-hmm. and and I and I love that you bring that up because it it truly is. If that feeling of anxiety is, I have too many options to choose between, and then the. Uh, the big question mark on the page where I don't know what my options are. Both of those things will keep you stuck mm-hmm. both things. And the question is, is how do I get action prone? How do I take action? And what I loved about how he positioned it, which made perfect sense to me. was like, well, as soon as I know which lane I'm in, I know what to do because I can take a next step. I can either whittle down my options over here and get clear on which one, or I can go learn something because I don't have a skill that I need to have. And so a lot of that, um, that way of like looking at it from a place of like, if we, if we apply this in in the lifted model of how I teach this, it would be that the thoughts, that list of thoughts of, of options are living exclusively in your head and you have yet to write them down on a piece of paper and actually examine which, and evaluate which one would be the best to do or which one feels the most, um, relevant, right? You know, people love to do lists or they love like steps, step by steps, write your options down. That's where most people get stuck in indecision. They don't, they think that there's all these infinite options and I don't know which one to choose. Have you written them down? Cause you write them down and exhaust your list write down every possible option that you have. And I, you know, most times you're going to get like five <laughs> and when there's five yeah. thoughts on paper and you're like, I could go to the grocery store. Now I could go to the grocery store tomorrow. I could go to the grocery store uh, at 6 PM on Saturday, I could order my groceries on Instacart. I could send my partner to go to the, like, you know, and it's like, rather than being overwhelmed about, I don't have any food in the house. It, it becomes a much more simple approach, a much more actionable approach. And so when we can clarify those, those options and we can see them on paper, they become concrete and they become finite. So when they're infinite in our head, cause they're rolling through this like big soup of muddled mess, it, it feels infinite. It feels like there's too many options to pick. If you put them down on paper, it's like, oh, well I could do this, 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 or this. And then it becomes infinitely more objection, objective and clear. It's like, oh, okay. There's, there's the choices. And whether that's when you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to make a hundred million dollars this year, same process works because it's not context dependent. It's, it is mechanics, it's process, it's externalize it, put it on paper, slow it down and then go from there. And so, yeah, that, and and then to address the other side of that coin of the question mark of, I don't know what to do. You could also write down options for that. You could also write down, I could learn this. I could do that. I could ask this person and you'll start to realize you have more options than you think, or you have more answers than you think, um, or more possibilities than you think. And then now you're in the same Faces the other side and you just pick one. <laughs> it's, it sounds easier than easier said than done, but it is a process that definitely uh will work. I think it's a I think it's hard only at first. I think once the frameworks are put into place and there's like the conscious awareness, like the conscious implementation of it, it becomes significantly smoother. And yeah. on, it's really funny. I found myself uh a little while ago. I forget when exactly it was, but I was out for a walk with uh, Kendra and it was for date night, most likely. Well, I was out for a walk 
And we were just kind of talking about frameworks and stuff like that. She's like, what are you thinking of? And I'm like, honestly, I'm not thinking of anything at all. It was just, it was just, just white noise. <laughs> right. Best. And it was after a process of breaking down different narratives or the perception of all these opportunities. And when, when I think it ink it, I think it was Bob Proctor that said that. Oh, I like that. And, uh, a lot. not bad. So then, then going through that process of just taking it from the mind to the paper and being able to see it as is in that objective frame, there was less uh, bandwidth being taken up by repeat thoughts. Yes. And so there's more cognitive space in order to take in. Uh, so the input was much more controllable and much more effective and efficient because I wasn't going off of the repeat thoughts that were perpetuating past pain into the present, preventing granting permission for progress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, I've been on a little bit of a Joe Dispenza kick recently. Nice. I've been, you know, learning from him for a long time, but just in the past couple of days, it's been like forefront of my brain and it's all about creating new possibilities to create a new reality. Right. And if we, if we operate from the familiar past, right, we're just like always operating from that same pattern and that same negative thought loop. What I think is really interesting about the work that we do is that you have it ops, like you have access to instantaneously change the thought. What it requires is that you slow down and that you are at least somewhat aware of how the language influences you and how to change those words. And from a really simple, like almost mathematical approach to the, you know, the, the system that we have that we use and we coach with, it's, it's very much like the, uh, once you know the equation, you can just change it on a dime. And so those consistent negative repetitive thoughts that occupy our mind, it's like something like somebody will have to fact check me on this, but I believe it's, we have somewhere around like 60,000 thoughts a day and that are the overwhelming majority of them are negative and repetitive. So what does that mean? That means that we're playing out the same scenario, the same thought, the same doom loop over and over and over again. And so you have an option. You can continue to listen to that voice in your head and believe it because it's the voice in your head and why would it be wrong? Or you can create some space from it and you can start to observe it and you can say, hey, you know what? I've heard this thought. Uh, I'm not good enough to, I'm not good enough to host a podcast. Uh, I've heard that for the past six months and I've heard it almost every day, multiple times a day. All right, cool. Let's examine that one. Let's get in there. So those ones that, um, and, and here's the part that's interesting. It could be, it could be very surface level thoughts that are repetitive and negative, or it could be deep cutting ones and they both work the same. You externalize them, put them on paper. And so the idea is this, like, can we slow down enough to hear what we're saying to ourselves in our head and then say, hold on a second here. Let me be the scientist of my own thoughts. Let me just, let me just think about my thinking here for a little bit, because, you know, like we, um, and I know this was my experience before I really understood how that inner dialogue worked for myself was like, and still I'm learning this and I'm practicing and evolving in it constantly is like you you, you do just listen. Like there is no questioning of the inner thoughts. You're like, Oh, why am I thinking like this? And like, why am I always so negative? And, and why am I, why am I always so grumpy in the morning? Why well, do I suck so much? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, that question I can't answer for you, but what I can answer for you is how, okay. So like, mm -hmm. 
how am I always so angry? Or how am I uh, sucking? Okay, well, we can we can answer that because that becomes more concrete. It becomes more like, well, I'm sucking because I uh, haven't paid my car insurance this month. I don't know. <laughs> like, I like it. Whatever. I love it. Like, make it up. Like, whatever the thing is, it's looming over you. And it's like, and usually it's like a, it's like one action away from being checked off the list or a couple actions away from being checked off the list and like handled. But we beat ourselves up so, so much. And we're so like, the nobody is shit talking you more than you. Like, so stop doing it. <laughs> and, and it sounds so simple to say that, but then it's like, okay, well, how, right? And that's that question we have to ask ourselves. It's like, we got to get look at and examine the thoughts and see which ones are supporting us and which ones are not. And that's exactly what you're just saying with the narrative. So like functioning and non-functioning. And the reality is, is that we have so many consistent, like repetitive, negative programmed, like thoughts that we just believe without ever putting them up against a court and saying, should I believe that one? Is that actually right? Like, and that court is just you examining it with yourself, right? Like becoming the observer and then also the person who can architect it. And so we hear a lot like, oh, you're the creator of your own reality. And like, you know, your thoughts influence your, your quality of life and all of that. And, and yes, I, I definitively absolutely agree. The problem with that is how do I change it? How do I change the thoughts? How do I change my reality? And the answer is what we teach. It's getting granular to the words and getting and reconstructing that. And so it's, it's, it's a very practical, it's the how it's, how do I do this? Because that's where I, I haven't heard anyone else answer it for me in a way that really lands. And that, then again, I bring it back to that. You have instantaneous shift that you can make when you know, oh, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, uh, Let's, let's make up a new example. Um, this is so fun. I talk about this all day. And then when I put myself on the spot to come up with an example, I'm like blank brain. No, it's all good. <laughs> I think, were you thinking of an example instead of the paying the registration for the car? Yeah, there we go. We could just be like, oh man, I don't want my license to get suspended. Mm. And then it's like, okay, I want, I want to, to keep my license active. Okay. Well, what do I have to do for that? I have to pay my registration. Okay, cool. Easy. Like, right. And then that might take you down another pattern of like, I don't have the money. And then it's like, rather than just like getting caught in that stuck story, it's like, oh, okay. I, I will get paid on the 15th and I will mail the check on the 15th versus like spiraling. Right. So however you want to look at that, like we can, we so quickly will go to that place where we talk ourselves into that loop of that doom loop. And we, we, we can relieve a lot of the pressure by just getting more clear and externalizing the thoughts, putting it on paper, help create more of that space that you're talking about. Cause when you're talking about that on your walk, it's like, wouldn't we all love that for that voice to just shut up for a minute <laughs> to just like, took, took some work. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it's, um, it does, yeah, it takes some work. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I think, uh, Oh, I had a couple of thoughts I was going on that one. Uh, so a couple of things that I thought was really cool or what I think is really neat about uh, this conversation is, or this lesson, I should say. <laughs> welcome to class, everybody. Yeah, welcome. I'm actually going to clip this into a <laughs> opt-in. and. <Please. laughs> Just cite me and put the Unlimited logo yep, on it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, think, I think something that's super cool is there's a handful of folks that uh, that I speak to that 
really get the idea or the, I don't even know what it is, but the, the, the manipulation of our perceptions and Mm -hmm. our, I do like, like going back to what you said a little bit earlier, how our projections are our, our reflections Mm -hmm. and being able to understand why we think a certain way and breaking down the how, and then we overcome that. And the, the how is, is so interesting. And I think that the, the part that I found difficult about learning the how was, or is, cause it's still perpetual. It's always, there's always going to be another narrative that's going to pop up. That's going to be like, you suck Kyle. And I'll be like, well, I got the data to back up that I don't suck as much as you're claiming. So that's okay. But it, it's the, it's the, how it's intangible. It's conceptual. It's not, it's not like, it is like paper and a pen because eventually it gets there. But I think when there's not like a, there's not like a thing outside of us to resolve our painful experience, we are hesitant of it. Yes. So, okay. Two really, this is perfect, Kyle. Two really great points on this. So the first one is to highlight, bring us back to the definition of the victim mentality, which was, cause you just talked about, you're like, oh, I suck. But then you're like, but I have all this evidence that I don't. So what's going on here? So the victim mentality, I'll give you that definition again, cause it's worth, it's worth repeating. It's uh, when a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. So which could also mean that I have the evidence that that's not true, but there is no clear evidence that it is true, right? Which is a weird way to put it because um, we're actually making a case against ourselves when we're in that victim mentality state. And then the second sentence is the critical part where we're talking about the repetitive thoughts because we say the victim mentality depends, like it has to have it, is a habitual thought process, which means that I have to repeat and repeat and repeat the negative thoughts that I have no evidence for. And then therefore it puts me in that disempowered state, puts me in the place of like, it's their fault, not mine, or, or even it is my fault. And how could I do this to myself, right? Now, the thing about the victim mentality, which is interesting, is that it is easily remedied when you know how to put the paper, the pen to paper and to externalize the thoughts, which is the second part of what you're talking about here. And what happens is that most of us walk around with those victims, victim mentality statements in our head, never wanting to speak them out loud or never wanting to write them down other than maybe in our own journal, that is our private thoughts, which is really, you know, like, no, I don't want anyone to see this because we do not want to be seen that way. We don't want people to think we're suck. Like we don't, like we want, we don't want to, we don't want to air our dirty laundry like that. And so what do we do? We keep it inside and we keep stuffing it down. Now the, the, again, I say that it's easily remedied. It's like, actually it's, it's, it's super easy to fix once we're willing to put the thought down on paper or to speak it out loud and then to work it. Right. So work through the process of saying, okay, where does this story show up? And so what we've talked about here today in the context of like the, the one word games and the quick recontextualization of a sentence is really the tip of the iceberg, because what we want to do is go back into past memories, past stories, past beliefs. And we want to go into, um, we want to provide like some meat to the story. So not just I suck, but where does that make you feel? Um, do you have a specific example of a time when you really felt like you sucked? 
right? Can you have, can you give me a specific example of a time when you felt like you really weren't good enough at the thing? And what that does is it now puts the person in the place of back down memory lane and usually it drives into a place in childhood where there was an experience that, you know, I was at a soccer game and I went to hit the kick, the winning goal. And I, I absolutely flopped. And then the whole team was disappointed because we lost the game and it was my fault. And what that story meant about me was that I suck. Right. So it's Mm. like making all this up on the spot, but like people can understand, like they, we all have those memories. We all have those experiences because as we attach meaning to our experiences in life, they build on each other. And so we build up much like how I started the show talking about how my parents affirmed me a lot. It built my confidence up. It could have very easily gone the other way. I feel like I was, I was an anomaly in that way. I, I don't, I haven't met any, many other people other than my siblings that have had an experience in that way. A couple, you know, it's not like, I'm not, I'm not like a rare unicorn or anything, but there, there is a, <laughs> there's like an interesting, there's an interesting, um, experience that we can all go, go back to and look at those, those points of, meaning. And so what, what happens is it's like that, when you talk about the tangible approach, the, the thing is, is that thoughts kept in the head are intangible, but they are running the show. So how can we make them tangible? We have to externalize them through our hand and write them down on a piece of paper or type them through our fingers and put them on a, a, a document on the computer or speak them through our mouth so that they are tangible and they're out in the world. And now when that things, ha- when that happens, when we write it, when we speak it, or when we type it, type it and write it, same thing. Now we can isolate that thing and contain it and make it tangible because it's no longer just running wild up here. And so those mm. thoughts that we have that we really never want to speak to anyone else because we have shame around them or because we don't want them to be true. Well, stuffing them down into our own body and space and time just compounds them. It makes it worse (laughs) and it blames them. And so what we want to do is externalize them and then work through them. And so uh, we talked about victim mentality in that way. And like imposter syndrome is the same sort of cousin to that. It's the same thing. It's like those internalized thoughts that we would never speak out loud that we don't want to be true. We don't want anyone else to know that we're thinking that. And then it becomes, it will that story will just grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And even like you said, you might have evidence that it's not true, but you are not focused on any of that evidence because you are focused on only the points where you got it wrong and only the places where it didn't work. And so it's a really, uh, when you think about, and this is another point around what you said about the manipulation of, of language and, and story, we, we are constantly subjected to other people's stories and we are constantly at the mercy of the media and different leaders, our parents, um, you know, our teachers, anybody who has influence over us, right? Social media, the podcasts you listen to, all of that. And so what is required of a person is to use discernment in what thoughts they're going to accept or which people they want to learn and listen to. And if you don't, if you don't realize that not everything is true. <laughs> so that's what? total negation. What, total what negation you, there. What? <laughs> not everything is true? No. Um, and you, uh, you know, believe what you hear on the news. You're, you're, yeah, you're going to have a, a really hard time. You're going to have a hard time. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, not to get too far off the language game into the land of conspiracies, but the thing is, is that, which I can go there if you want, but you know, we'll just keep it. We'll just, we'll keep it tight right here. Um, 
the, the understanding how language is utilized to manipulate certain feelings and emotions out of you and is how it's utilized to uh, make you think you need something outside of you or make you think that you have to follow these rules. That is, that is happening to you unknowingly from every second that you've been alive on this planet. And so when you start to learn this system of like rewiring your own thoughts and like deconstructing your own thoughts, as you look externally and you start to watch the news stories and you hear the, um, the posts on social media, or you're listening to your mom who you've never resonated with her views on reality, like whatever, you're going to start to be like, Oh, I cool. You can think whatever you want because I hear your language patterns and how they're, uh, trying to elicit a certain response out of me. And you become not necessarily immune because you can't, <laughs> we're humans, but you can create a lot more emotional space from the stuff that would really previously piss you off and light you up and make you feel like, just like, uh, you know, crap. Yeah. Politicians know this marketing companies know this, um, you, you know, the newscasters <laughs> know this, they all know it. They all know how to elicit certain feelings out of people by the words that they use. So it's, it's about, I want to know, I want to know how to, how I'm manipulating myself, but then I also want to be able to protect myself from that. Mm. And I can have my own, uh, ways of viewing the world. And I can learn from people that are in alignment with me rather than just believing what, whatever's out on the internet. I like it because you're teaching people. And it's something that I like to really try to do as well is teach people how to think rather than what to think. Yes, Exactly. Cause exactly. I think, uh, I, one, one, cause actually I had a pod, I was on a podcast. <clears throat> I was a guest on a podcast and the, his name is Daniel Yoris, super cool guy. And he, cause I haven't been drinking for the last like chunk of time. And he thought it was interesting that I never really mentioned anything about it. So really this would be like a handful of times I've been talking about it from like a, I don't know, a social, like people can listen and just know that I'm doing it kind of thing. And he was curious as to why. And I said that I don't want my particular, I don't want my specific standard. I don't want my standards to be the only way. And I would rather have someone create their own standards and I would just help them live up to it. So I'm, so it's not when, when someone's like, what is it that you, are you a life coach? And I'm like, I'm more of a life consultant. I don't yeah, I tell people what to do. I just recommend and adjust in accordance to the trajectory they want to go. And then that makes it so that they are put in power. And the reason why I don't really talk about, oh, don't drink for this long, blah, 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 is because I don't like having an ideological approach where there must be, has to be, there's some form of uh, standard that's uh, just adjusting the life to fit the standard rather than finding the standard that works for the person and then per, like going from there and really trying to identify the, with clarity, what I like to call the inner role model to counter the inner rival mm -hmm. or the idea of the idea of uh, the two wolves, where if I look at one wolf as the role model and one wolf as the rival, the wolf that's going to win is the wolf that's fed the most. And people are feeding their rival more often than they're feeding the role model. And so the role yeah. model is weaker until they choose to, listen to their inner role model or best version of themselves or whatever incarnation that could be. Mine is dapper dude. It's like a dapper dude. My role model is a dapper dude. And my rival is Mr. Simpleton. That's his name. 
I love this. We have something very similar in our coaching methodology that uh, we don't talk about a lot on podcasts, but since you're here, I'll talk about it. We have uh, the two, the two internal, it's the same concept. The two people inside the one, we call him Billy. We've named him Billy, which is the, the rival. And it's this, it, Billy is the shit talking voice in your head and every person gets to name their Billy. So I love that you did it in that way. And my Billy's name is that bitch, Kimmy. K-I-M-M-I. So like, like it. weird ass way to spell Kimmy. And also she is a bitch. Like, <laughs> it's like she is not nice. And, and so that there's, there's that model. And then there's the other side, which is, we call a corner man, which is like the person you want in the ring with you when you're going into a fight. And so it's, and, and I chose to just name my corner man myself, Kimberly Kesting, because I was like, this is the identity I want to step into. This is like who I really feel I am. I love my name. I want it. I want to own that. And that's, that's the, that's where I'm going. And so the, um, that thought of like how you have, you know, it's depicted as like an angel and a devil on your shoulders. People talk about like, we've, uh, humans have been talking about that forever. And, and so it, what does that mean? It's innate to us. It means that we cannot, uh, we cannot eliminate the rival or the Billy, we are going to always have them in the conversation. And again, it comes back to like, which one is giving you the the thoughts that are going to help you put you in position to go do the things you want to do. And which one is just there to drag you down. And when you get more clear about that, those two voices exist and that you can actually have a conversation between them and that part of the way to change the conversation and, and to, to meet is to look at the words rather than to just believe what each person says and try to mediate, it becomes a lot more objective and tangible, which we love. And so, so much of that, like, uh, going back to what you're talking about, about not wanting to like prescribe to your clients or like tell them this is the way to do it, or this is how you have to do it. What we, uh, what we want to do as somebody who's a coach or a life consultant, I love that, um, is really about being able to reflect back to the person, what dialogue they're having with themselves. So rather than it being about, well, I think you should do this. Like I've done that style of coaching before. When I first started out, I thought I had to have the right answers. I thought I needed to provide a, you know, the perfect plan for them to get the result that they want. And I was met with so many different things that, just didn't work, which would be like, um, excuses and reasons why, or objections to like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, but this is what you have to do if you want the result. And eventually with more reps and experience, you learn and you develop and you realize, oh, that's not really how like human behavior works. And so, uh, let's see how we can, you know, meet them more where they're at. And then, so really when you hear, you know, I think that's a phrase that's pretty often utilized in coaching is like, meet your client where they're at. And what does that really mean? Meet them at the voice that's going on in their head, like work with the voice that's going on in their head, because that's the thing you're up against. You're not up against their poor eating habits. You're not up against their poor hydration. You're not up against them, not hitting a 10,000 steps a day. You're up against the voice in their head. And so how can you get in there with them and work with it? Because that's the thing that they're going to hear the other, you know, if you have one coaching session with them for a week, for an hour, you're, you know, working with that. And then the rest of the week is all them and them. And so how are you going to help empower them to be able to work through that inner dialogue and be able to set themselves up for success? And that's where like we, um, we as coaches, like come into this place of like, I'm not here to help to make you think anything. I'm, I'm here to support you in getting where you want to go. You're driving this bus. I'm holding a map. All right. Like, which, how do you want to do it? Because you can, you can follow the directions and I can give you the best short, like the, you know, the shortcut or the, um, the most direct path. But then, you know, if we hit traffic, 
what are you going to do? Right. If you take the wrong turn, how are you going to react and behave? And so it's being able to just like help people meet that conversation and move fluidly through it is where a lot of, um, where a lot of like newer coaches, they find resistance and frustration. And then once you figure out, Oh, okay, this is about them. Okay, cool. And you learn more tools and more skills and you get a little more into the, um, the inner world, it becomes easier to, to work with that and get them into that position where they can take action in the way that they want to go. And so a lot of that is really like line them up to the target and set them off so they can go and and they can hit it. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, I guess we, so for, for a solid chunk of this convo, it, it seemed there is a lot of the individual and then there's a lot of what the client's POV would kind of be or a prospect or just like a friend. Like I, these are all conversations yeah. that I would have with a friend too. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so how would that, <clears throat> cause I'm envisioning what it would look like if there was an onboarding client is kind of the first con- coaching call, for example, would you just look at them and be like, all right. What are the, what's the, what's the shitty things that you say to yourself on a regular basis? Is that, is that how you would start? Um, so it's interesting. So here's the best part about the unlifted method is that it is, is ultimately a complete coaching system in itself and a plugin to work with your style of coaching. So you don't have to exclusively coach in this method and you could. So it's a very interesting approach. And so typically what we would do is we'd actually prepare a client before coming into a session with a document questionnaire where they would write down, they they would write. Um, and so that's the first step is to get people to write things down on paper. And so um, depending on what context you're working with someone on, if you're, um, I'll use the example of nutrition, that's what I know the best. That's what I've coached the longest. Um, and, and everything comes back to stories, right? So it doesn't, this is again, not context dependent. So whatever type of coaching you're doing, like plug in your expertise into this. So in a nutrition intake, usually what I would ask questions I would ask is I would give people, um, questions around like, what do you, um, how do you currently like look at your relationship with food? Right. Or, um, what is the, um, how do you want to feel based on what you're eating? How do you, like, I would give them prompts, like just kind of like journal prompts. Mm. I'd ask them what has worked for you in the past? What, what, um, hasn't worked for you in the past? Like just in the, in the questions, they, they matter, but they also don't matter. You just want to get your clients writing. Cause they will write down okay. things that are then going to put them into a place of like, those things are externalized. Now, what you're going to do is like into that coaching session, you're going to get more specific and you're going to ask them to extrapolate on certain things that they've written that once you've identified, like you know, you're trained at this point in time where you're coaching with it, you're going to be trained to recognize that conflict language. You're going to understand where, um, that victim mentality is showing up and you're going to be able to pinpoint more specific. Remember when we talked about getting the specific examples of why you suck, um, you're going to be able to pinpoint certain overarching themes and certain things that, um, based on what they've written, you can dig deeper on. And so the way that this method is applied is, is, uh, both like step-by-step methodical, but then also creative because you're going to get into situations like, huh, I want them to write more about that. And so you'll get them. We, um, we do this in Google docs, so you can do these virtually and like, you can just like both be in the same document at the same time and you can type and write and edit and reverse all of that. Um, and so, so say for example, like I'm working with a client and says, what hasn't worked for you in the past? And they're like, I don't want to do any, uh, restrictive diets. I don't want to count calories. I don't want to, um, eliminate chocolate from my life. I don't want to, um, eat meat 
whatever, right? Now I have a list of all these things they don't want. And so I'm going to go in there and like maybe in the first session, all I'm going to do is go don't to do. So I don't. Okay. So I want to eat chocolate. Cool. I don't want to count calories. I'm not <laughs> like, you know, it's like, we won't count like being able to like put things into place for them about those simple reframes. And then sometimes like in, in the context of like digging deeper, there is a rhythm to this style of coaching. Cause you're going to isolate those specific memories. And then we have what we call the four-step coaching process, which ultimately takes people through a process of, um, writing the memory down in conversational detail so that they can externalize it bring it more to their awareness it has a beginning, a middle and an end. It is no longer infinitely running through the head. It is concrete on that piece of paper. And then we have them read it out loud. So another element of context of externalization, and this is a whole process of making more space. So it's write it, read it, read it slower. Cause remember we talked about the fast speech. We talked about how it's uh, potentially working them up into a state of emotion. When we read it slower, now the feels start to come up the emotions start to come to the surface and we start to get a little bit uh, more clear about what's really going on here. And then the last, the fourth step is to read it with the same slow down pace and insert breath into it. So usually once one sentence at a time, after each sentence, you're taking a full complete inhale, a full complete exhale. And what that does is allows a lot of space for that thing to settle. Most of the time, when you get people through those highly emotional memories, specific memories, either back from their childhood or a very specific event, what it will do, it's like a breadcrumb trail. You're going to start to, when have you ever felt that before? Um, how do you, where are you feeling it in your body? Does that remind you of something else? You're going to start to go into this process of, of um, unwinding the root of the thing rather than the surface level problem. And so you're able to get pretty deep, pretty quick with a trained eye for the language patterns and then recognizing how that's attaching to the feelings and emotions, their posture, their breathing and their imagination, right? So this is a really full, so this is really class. This is a full, full circle moment on this. And so what we teach in this coaching methodology is, is uh, a combination of that language the, the patterns of conflict language versus architect language, which helps you really get very clear about how to identify these super stuck stories that people are operating from that they maybe haven't even thought about in 30 years. But the thing is, it's still in there running the show. And there's still like very much the body is attached to it. The emotional body is attached to it. We've got to find a way to just cut that out completely. And so the the, the surface level language games are really fun. And they don't always stick because there's something deeper than that. So we go in and we find those stories, we work through them, we reframe them. And there's a really, um, once you start like down the path, there's, there's infinite possibilities and choices that you can make as a coach. And so your, your best attempt at, at working with your clients is to let your curiosity guide you and to go where the emotion and the action is. Because if your client doesn't seem to be very reactive to a certain statement or a certain thing that happened, you know, a few years ago, it's like, okay, well, I don't think that's the story we got to work. We got to ask some more questions about, is there something else here? And so there's a really, um, a really, you know, bringing it back up to the surface houses, connect back to the, to the specific modality of coaching that you're applying. Most of the time, people's stories from when they're young or the stories that have created big meaning for them in their life are the things that are fueling that victim mentality or the things that are fueling the imposter syndrome, things that are fueling the I'm not good enough, I suck story. Mm -hmm. It's not that, you know, they're unable to make it to the gym three times a week because they're scheduled. That's not it. I, I'm 
No, you can make that happen. But the thing is, is that rather than just trying to tell them, oh, we'll schedule it in and make sure you have the time. It's like, no, actually let's go backwards and let's figure out what is creating that friction. And let's create, let's figure out where that, um, that whole thing has gotten wound up really tight because that's where people are going to, um, really have big, big, big breakthroughs and big releases of the stuff that's been holding them back their whole lives, you know? And it's like, it's time to let it go. It's time to drop it and and to move forward. We got to do that. So a lot of that work, um, and how the specific sessions go is again, it's like, you could coach exclusively with the exclusively with the enlifted method in a step-by-step pro it's a very process oriented coaching methodology. And it's what a lot of people like about it. You could also plug it in to certain aspects of other tools and techniques that you're using and, and in, in, um, depending on what your ultimate goal and outcome is with your, with your clients. And so since we work with people primarily in health, wellness, fitness, lifestyle, life coaching, um, even business coaching or some sort of like mentorship salespeople that are using the same sort of process, like it all comes back to the same thing. Every single one of us has a story inside of us that is haunting us, that is telling us we're not good enough, that is holding us back from the thing we want to do. And we don't need to hold it anymore. We don't need to carry it anymore. Create a new possibility, open up to a new future, architect the reality you want and let that shit go. It's in the past. You don't have to hold it. And so it's like being able to facilitate that for your clients is the thing that like, they don't even know how to articulate that that's what they want because they don't even realize that that's what's happening. They just think I suck because I can't get to the gym three times a week. Why can't I do it? And they don't even, they're just not even, that's not in their, in their realm of possibility or reality. And once it gets brought to the surface and worked with and, and processed through, it's like, oh shit, cool. And boom, action prone, stepping into the next thing, crushing goals left and right. And, you know, and then there's a whole other aspect of our method. That is once you get people through the stuck, what do you do with them to set them up for success? And that's, we haven't m- talked about that much today. Cause we usually start and meet people in that stuck phase. Cause that's where people are when they come find a coach. You know, it's not really, uh, it's not really like, they're like, ah, my life's growing great. Help me make it better. They're like, no, my, I, my, I need, I need help. <laughs> <That's pretty. laughs> yeah. That's is sweet. I, uh, yeah, there, there's not really much on, on questions or like <laughs> thoughts. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just taking it in. I'm like, this Putting is so cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you might notice like a, a shift up in content being posted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well we have, I mean, here's the deal. Like we, we talk about this content, um, really like at depth on the podcast that I host, it's called getting lifted. And there are, this is the ultimate cheat sheet. So if you love the mini lessons that I was taking you through you guys today at like at speed round, we have um, mini episodes called in lifted essentials that there's about 20 of them or so. And there there's 11 in the very beginning of the show. If you scroll all the way back to the very beginning of the podcast feed, you'll find the first 11 and then somewhere in the middle, you'll find the other, uh, seven or eight of them. And they're, uh, there are many episodes about 10 to 15 minutes long with myself and Mark England, who's one of the co-founders of the Enlifted Method and Brand. Um, and he is our head coach. He teaches all of this. He was my mentor in the work. He taught me all of the things that I now know and teach to other people. And a lot of what we, um, the reason we do that is because no one else is talking about this in the way that we're talking about it. So we have the, we have education, like we got to educate people on this method and approach and we make it super accessible because we want you to go out and use it. So anything you've learned in the show today that, you know, you're listening and you're taking notes or like you're driving and you just kind of like parked something in the back of your head, 
the, what we want you to do is to be able to take that and put it on paper. And so go, you know, you can listen to the Lifted Essentials episodes on Getting Lifted podcast. There's, um, we have the soft talk challenge. If you want to opt, if, speaking of opt-ins from this, there is an yeah. opt-in you can do the soft talk challenge, which will give you the cheat sheet and it will teach for over seven days. It'll like help you identify how to remove that from your language and just tune your attention to it. Because this is the the one thing, if you take anything from what I said today, this is a practice. This is an ongoing practice. You're going to hear things differently. The more you practice it, you're going to speak things differently. The more you practice it, you're going to write things differently. The more you practice it and you're going to evolve with it. It is not a, I get this now it's good. It's I learned this. Now I have awareness of it. And just like anything else, what are you going to do? You have to implement and you have to practice. And so we, um, even you'll hear us on, I'll talk on the, on our podcast and I'll say something and I'll be like, oh, wait, 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 self-correct. <laughs> you know, it's, it's audit. We're working against like a lifetime of automated language patterns and, and we're, you know, making a conscious effort to change it. Of course, it's going to take a little bit of work. It's going to take some practice, but it's, it's a fun way to practice it because you're going to like your thoughts more and you're going to like your life more too. And you're going to be more confident and you're going to breathe a little easier. And it's, it's a very, um, very, very fun way to get into personal development without the pressure and the heaviness that some other approaches feel like, you know, mm -hmm. this is a very light, playful way. Um, once you get through those deep stuck haunted stories, but that's cake. <laughs> I like it. I think something else is kind of cool about really, uh, <clears throat> uh, understanding the, the thoughts or just, I think I think that's something that's really cool with this particular practice where you gain ownership over your thoughts rather than being a passenger of your thoughts yes. is you get to, you, at least in my experience is you recognize what you used to do because of how uncommon the practice of uh, not, not controlling, but influencing and redirecting and reorganizing and readjusting and, uh, focusing on the things that you'll want to focus on. And, and I think, I think that's kind of a cool where it's, it, where it's, you get to recognize how much simpler, or at least I've recognized how much simpler life is when I've compared my previous behavior. And then I've been around some folks are around as well because they don't know what they don't know, right? Like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so yeah. when I learned this and I got through it mostly through uh, philosophy, like Stoic philosophy or even like Ryan Holiday's book, Obstacles, The Way is what really got things going into this trajectory. And yeah, it's it's kind of cool. And then when you get to, it's almost like immediate feedback where you get to see or you start like you recognize it, you see it. And it's like, wow, I know how much pain I was in at that point in time. I know yeah. what that's oh, like. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, this method, I teach this now and I talk about it constantly because it changed my life. Like I was, I was a deep victim state within myself. Like, and I, you know, like it's, again, I'll go back to this, like nobody's shit talking you more than you. And so the ability to like shift that and change that perspective and empower yourself and to take ownership of your life, take ownership of your thoughts and then put them into practice is it's, it really is, it's truly life-changing. And the thing is, is that like that, that experience that we have with it, you know, we, 
we want to work below the surface. We don't always know how to do it. And we also don't know how to get somebody to help us go there. And so the thing is, it's like, it's being able to do something that is tangible, approachable, practical, practicable, right? That's really what I mean when I say practical, it's practicable. It's like, that's the thing that we want to be able to put into play. And with one, and similar to how we started this conversation, like with one rep, it's, you're not going to feel confident with 10 reps. You're going to feel a lot more confident with a hundred reps. You're going to know what's up. Right. And so can you just show keep showing up, keep practicing it, keep, keep taking the approach of curiosity within your own mind and, and observe the thoughts. Yes. Like that's what meditation and mindfulness will tell you to do. And that's not enough. I, I call bullshit. It's not enough to just observe the thoughts. We have to shift them. We got to change them. We've got to like put them in the direction where we want to go. And so, you know, part of the process is first observe. Yeah. But then let's do something about it. We don't want to just observe. Like it's, if you see something, say something, right? Like let's like, let's do something about it guys. So yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, I'm very passionate about this because it changed my life. It changed my outlook. It changed my experience of myself. And then because I've facilitated it with enough people where I recognize it is a consistent, repeatable result, it's not something that's unique to me. Um, and it's not unique to the, you know, between the students that we've taught the method to that it's shifted for them. And then also how it shifted their clients. It's, it's such a ripple, such a ripple. And, and yeah, I'm just like grateful to be a part of it because I didn't, I didn't make this up. I didn't, you know, like I learned it. I was a student of it first. And then, uh, Mark did make it up Mark and Adam, who are the co-founders of the method. And, uh, they've, they have shifted and impacted more people than I think we can even account for just based on how the ripple goes out. And so it's a really, um, rewarding work to do. I love that. Well, I'm sure I have a thousand other questions, but that was pretty good. That was a pretty good point to come to uh, the conclusion of this episode. So before I get into the last two questions, where can people find you? Instagram is my favorite method at Kimberly.casting. Um, and yeah, that's a really fun way. Then that's how you can interact with me personally, because I'm on there all the time. Uh, posting about magical stuff and uh, just living my life, having fun. And then uh, the other best place, if you want to hear a lot more of this, like extrapolated out into conversation, the Get and Lifted podcast, I host it. I have a blast doing that. It's my favorite part of my job, quote unquote, if you could call it a job. (laughs) Um, And I really, 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 really enjoy connecting with people talking about different aspects of health and wellness and lifestyle optimization and all aspects of like that, that inner world, the mental realm. And so there's a lot of deep dive conversations in there um, with other coaches and leaders that are all talking about something similar and like how it relates back to that internal world and our thoughts. Hmm. So highly recommend you check that out if you enjoyed listening to me today. And then if you're curious about learning more about the Enlifted Method, enlifted.me is the website. And so you'll find um, everything you want to know right there. Nice. Love it. All right. All the, all, everything that we were talking about today will be in the description below. Uh, two questions, right? First one, I'm going to set the, set the stage. It is the end of your days. You are on your deathbed. And you are surrounded by the folks that you care about the most. What is one piece of advice or what is the final thing that you want to leave those people with? Um, I'm going to quote Rick James. I lived, bitch. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 
that's a good one okay that's a gooder oh so funny and then uh <laughs> yeah it's good and then the the second version uh what was your what was your role model your inner role model oh yes it's just um, you right? it's me yeah kimberly yeah. casting yeah all right well how, how we'll put it this way let's say kimberly casting from the future comes back in time so the best version of you is sitting next to you what piece of advice does kimberly have for you during this season of your life hmm There's a few uh, mantras that I use that come to mind that just consistently remind me of that I'm on the path. And one of them is very personal to me. It's I am her with a capital H. And that's something that came to me in writing many, like many years ago. And I didn't even understand what the hell it meant. Um, Cause I was like, okay, yeah, I guess I am. Uh, but what it is, is this constant evolution of how I view myself and see myself. And which is stepping into the woman that I want to be and the leader that I want to be and just just total ownership of my life. So first thing she would say that because it would be that reminder and that anchor to like you're doing it and you're doing it right. And like you are her. I am. I am her. So so do it. And then the second one is keep going, because that's the next thing that she would say is like, keep going like you you're on the path. You're doing it. Keep going. And so much of what. um I have come up against in my life and the success that I've achieved and the, the goals that I've achieved that are not necessarily anything other than just completely from my heart. It is always because I reminded myself in the tough times of like, and is this going to work? Oh my God. Like, it's literally like, keep going, keep going. And when I do that, the, the gift, the blessing, the thing always comes. And so it's very much like just a reminder to be the woman I want to be and to keep doing it and keep going. That's awesome. Well, folks, that's what I got for you for today's episode. And if you love today's episode, please do me a favor right now. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me with my handle at DapperDudeKyle, along with at Kimberly.Kesting. This is one of the ways that we grow. And until next time, be kind. And I hope your day treats you as good as you look.